Hello, brothers, sisters, and friends, and welcome to You Are the Current Resident Podcast. This is the official podcast of the National Association of Letter Carriers, the union that represents 280,000 active and retired city letter carriers employed by the United States Postal Service. I'm Ed Morgan. Sitting next to me, as always, is our national president. Hey, Brian, how are you? Hey, Eddie. Doing great. Glad to be back here to record another episode. I think we have a very timely one this week. We should have a bunch of energy this week. We just got finished with our Thanksgiving luncheon here at headquarters. Do you want to talk about that for a second? Yeah, we do things like that here at headquarters for our employees. For those that maybe don't know, here at our headquarters building in D.C., we have 80 or 90 employees that uh, work here from, you know, officers and letter care staff to our professional staff. A lot of our employees here are uh, what we call bargaining unit. They have their own unions. So, you know, a lot of union employees and we try to get together periodically around holidays. And today we did a little Thanksgiving lunch with them, which was always good. And I can tell our members out there that we expressed on behalf of all of our members our appreciation for everything that those folks do. They do a really good job in filling every role you can imagine in helping our union run from our people that work in communications to our membership department that helps branches, finance, obviously, you know, all over the building. So that's fun to get them together and express our appreciation and and celebrate a holiday like Thanksgiving. Um, I don't, turkey's supposed to put you to sleep. So (laughs) hopefully we still have some pep in our voice for this episode. And the great thing about all the people that work here, they're union members, which is terrific. Yep. For sure. I can, uh, having negotiated two different rounds of uh, contracts with the various unions that we have here, I can honestly say firsthand they, they also do a good job of representing their members, and we obviously support them being union members and you know their right to organize and try to better themselves just as we do. When this podcast comes out, we'll be in the middle of the rap session down in New Orleans. You want to talk about that for a second? Yeah, we're really excited about that. So um, for those that may not know, constitutionally, we have a convention every other year. That convention last was held in Chicago last year, and it'll be in Boston next August. But on the other years in between, constitutionally, we hold what's called a national conference. We just kind of commonly call it a rap session, and that'll take place, I guess, as you're listening to it on this very weekend down in New Orleans. So the folks, the branch and state presidents are the representatives that'll be there. We normally have anywhere from 12, 1,300 people or so, and most folks, anyway, travel in on Friday. Friday evening, we'll have registration all day Saturday. We have workshops, so each of the resident officers will participate in the different workshops as, along with a bunch of our headquarters staff. And then on Sunday, we have the actual rap session itself where uh, I'll spend a couple hours probably just updating the leadership there on everything that's going on from collective bargaining to our other priorities, such as we've talked a lot about trying to address the, the crime that's taking place against our members. Of course, we'll talk about our legislative and political priorities and got some exciting new things to announce for 2024 that I'm sure we'll talk about on future episodes. But uh, do that, and then we set aside a, a significant amount of time to hear from the people in attendance out there. I mean, that's really what it's about is a conference to share information. So I think between the workshops and what we'll do on Sunday, which is likely when a lot of you are listening to this, the day this comes out, 
we should be able to cover and discuss with our the leaders of our branches and state associations. Maybe not every single thing that's going on, but certainly the things that are priorities of ours. So I'm uh, really looking forward to that. And I know it'll be a great weekend and will go a long way towards helping us plan and continue progressing as far as the things that we need to accomplish in collective bargaining and, and in other areas as we are almost done with 2023 and uh, we move into next year. So this episode is going to be talking about open season and the NALC health benefit plan. We have a special guest on today, Stephanie Stewart, the director of the health benefit plan. Do you want to share your thoughts about Stephanie? Yeah, I've I've worked with Stephanie for a long time. She's been the director of the health plan since 2018, so I guess about five and a half years now. Prior to that, she did a lot of stuff, which I'm sure she and I will talk about. But, you know, I I personally worked with her on things like route adjustment and stuff like that for a number of years. But she's done a great job at our health plan. And we think back over the last few years, like a lot of businesses or really any activity in life was pretty dramatically impacted by the pandemic. And the health plan is one of those things that was really seriously impacted. And we have about 300 people that work at our health plan. It's it's located in Northern Virginia. And when the pandemic hit, we had to very quickly find a way to keep those folks safe and continue working. And the health plan is part of the Federal Employee Health Benefits Program. It's owned by NALC, and it's therefore regulated by the Office of Personnel Management, who has pretty stringent requirements about a lot of different things. But one of those things is the service that we provide and ensuring that the folks that are members of the plan have access to the things that they need. And Stephanie just did a great job in guiding the folks out of the plan through that very, frankly, tumultuous period. But the good news is it was difficult and we had a lot of things that moved very quickly and decisions that had to be made. But I think you could ask the members of the plan that even during that time, you know, they didn't experience any disruption in terms of the way their claims were processed and questions were answered and, you know, the customer service they received from the people that work out at the NALC Health Benefit Plan. So Steph's done a great job there and uh, we, we are really excited about the future. And I think you'll hear that in the interview. We'll talk about a little bit of history of the plan, talk a lot about the benefits that are being offered. But of course, we're going to focus on the fact that right now is a period of time, a window called open season that we'll talk about where all postal employees, including letter carriers, all federal employees have an opportunity to choose what several different benefits, but for the purpose of this conversation, their health insurance for 2024. And if you are listening to this and you're not currently a member of the NALC health benefit plan, I strongly encourage you to listen. Stephanie will, I'm sure, get into a lot of the benefits that are offered. And our plan is a plan that was built by letter carriers. It's owned by letter carriers. It exists for the purpose of serving letter carriers. So we've really made a lot of progress in recent years in terms of benefits improvements, and we think that we offer the best benefits at the best value of of any plan that's out there. So we'll talk a lot about that. And then uh, as we've talked about on previous episodes, we've got a very unique 2024 coming as we begin to implement the provisions of the Postal Reform Act that was passed back in 2021, assigned into law in 2022. So this is a, a very unique time. This year will be very unique. There's opportunities for our people, a lot of our members, and then something that will be required of all of our members. And we'll get into all of that and talking to Stephanie. So she has had the five years or so she's been out of the health plan. It's been eventful, that's for sure, between COVID and now this kind of major 
major shift in kind of additional responsibilities as far as overseeing the different elements of implementation of that plan. So very good timing. We're here early in open season. So this is a great opportunity for the listeners out there. If you don't know a lot about the health benefit plan, then hopefully you'll learn. And even for those that are currently members of the plan, we're going to talk, I'm sure, get into some of the tools and information and and that stuff that's available to you. We've tried really hard to keep up with technology and make things available through mobile apps and telehealth and, you know, stuff like that. So I'm sure there's something to be learned and for everybody that's listening, regardless of whether you're a health plan member or prospective health plan member, we encourage you to listen and uh, take advantage of this opportunity you have during open season. So it'll be great to have Stephanie on. If I could make my own personal pitch for the health benefit plan, you know, if you're ever in need, who do you want backing you up, your union or some nameless, faceless corporation? Uh, I know, again, I said this before, but when I had my children, it was great having the NALC health benefit plan in my corner. When I had some medical issues, it was great having the NALC health benefit plan in my corner. Uh, So take a look at it and take a listen today. Here is my conversation with NALC Director of Health Benefits, Stephanie Stewart. Hey, Stephanie. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Brian. I'm excited to be here. Perfect timing to talk about the NALC Health Benefit Plan. Yeah, we either got lucky or somebody did some planning. So we're going to get into all things health plan and specifically a lot of stuff about uh, now that it is open season, which we'll talk about here in just a second. We'll talk a lot about the plan in, in 2024. But before we get into the plan specifically, why don't you tell our listeners, um, I think most people know that you're the director of health benefits and you run the health benefit plan now, but you've also done a lot of stuff for the union over the years. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your history and uh, kind of some of the things you've done leading up to present day? So I started as a letter carrier in 1995 in Des Moines, Iowa. And after a few years, um, I got very frustrated with management like all of us do. And I decided that I just couldn't sit by and watch the abuse um, of letter carriers. And so I decided that I would become a shop steward. And from there, throughout the years, I kind of took every opportunity that I was given and really expanded the different ways that I could serve letter carriers. I was the branch safety captain. I was a branch trustee. I was our our branch workers compensation officer, a formal A. Eventually, I was elected as the vice president of our branch and eventually went on to be the president of branch 352 in Des Moines. I also, for several years, served as the Iowa State Association of Letter Carriers vice president and director of education, as well as participating on a lot of committees at the request of the business agent's office from a district level. I was on our EAP committee, the safety committee. I was the co-chair. I was a master carrier academy instructor, an arbitration advocate, and I think I participated in every single one of the wraps, other than this latest one now that I'm the director of health benefits. But then in 2015, I was appointed as an RAA in Region 5, and after a few years in 2018, I was appointed as the director of the health plan where I am today. Yeah, and you... uh... You mentioned the wraps. I know that's something that you and I worked together on a lot over the years. So uh, I don't 
I don't know if it's a blessing or a curse to not be involved in this one, but you certainly have your own, uh, have plenty on your plate when it comes to running the health plan. So let's get into that a little bit. And I think because of the timing of this episode, as you mentioned earlier, um, we are here at the, the beginning, early stages of what's called open season. So why don't we start there and you tell us what open season is, um, what the dates are, so and what opportunities out there for our members over the next few weeks. So open season is the time of year where every federal employee is allowed to review their health care options and make changes. And that began today, which is November 13th, and it runs through December 11th. Here at the health plan, we are ready to take any questions that members or potential members in our health plan might have. We have extended phone hours right now to help with their questions. We are open until 5.30 p.m. Eastern time through the end of open season on December 11th, and we would love to hear from people who are considering us. Yeah, and something that uh, the message that we really probably want to send more than any other to our listeners, if you're a, a letter carrier or, or a postal employee or, or a federal employee in general, we strongly encourage you during this open season to take a look at our plan. We, we really believe that it's the plan that offers the, the best benefits and coverage at the best value. And for our listeners, most of which I'm sure are letter carriers, you know, it's a plan that is, as we'll talk about in a few minutes, is owned and was built and is owned and operated by letter carriers and exists to to serve our members. So Stephanie, speaking of the plan itself, let's uh why don't you give us just a little bit of maybe some history and then uh whatever you think's important there. But then also let's talk about, as I just mentioned, I guess, why the plan exists, sort of what our our mission is in in running and administering the NALC health benefit plan. Sure. So the NALC began a hospitalization and surgical plan in 1950. And at the time, letter carriers didn't have health insurance coverage at all. And throughout the years, we have continued to grow. And we started with just a little over 4,000 members in our plan. And in 1959, the Federal Employees Health Benefit Act was passed, which established employer-sponsored health insurance for all federal employees, and this opened the door for the NELC to offer a new plan with greatly expanded benefits, which is what you would become accustomed to if you were in our plan today. And in July of 1960, that's when we officially began operations as the NELC health benefit plan. Our mission is essentially to provide our members accessibility to quality medical care while maintaining a comprehensive benefit package. We pride ourselves on offering excellent benefits at affordable premiums, and that is why we're here today. We want to be able to help letter carriers find great health care at reasonable prices and ensure from a health care perspective that their needs are being taken care of. Yeah, and I know you've talk. We just recently had our uh, annual health benefits seminar out in Las Vegas. And, you know, one of the things that uh, that you said there multiple times that, that really stuck with me, and I hope it did with the folks that attended is, you know, in a lot of ways, we as letter carriers are the same, but we also 
you know, throughout our membership have different healthcare needs. And I know that's been a big point of emphasis to try to ensure that our plan offers benefits that cover, you know, the, the widest range we possibly can of any healthcare needs that, uh, that our members have. So on a recent episode, we had uh, Secretary of Treasurer Nicole Ryan on, and we talked about on that episode, the national convention, but we talked a lot about some of the processes that happened there and and that how each member of the NALC has an opportunity to not only influence, but be directly involved in the future course of our union from the resolution process that uh, works through branches and state associations. And, and we talked about the Constitution. We talked about the uh, constitutional the process for submitting amendments for consideration and I think something that may not be quite as widely known is when it comes to the internal sort of governance, let's call it, of the health plan, our members have that same opportunity. So why don't you just talk to us a little bit about that and just, you know, what governs our health plan from an internal standpoint and, and how our members can also be involved in uh, potentially, you know, influencing the, the direction of, of what is their health plan in the future in the Constitution. Yeah, it really boils down to the NELC health benefit plan has its own constitution within the NELC constitution. And there's always an avenue for the delegates at the national convention to propose changes and have those considered. One of the things that our NELC constitution for the health benefit plan that's kind of notable is that in 1962, the first national convention after we began operations in the federal employees health benefit program, the delegates decided that we needed to have a representative in every branch. And that was the year that they passed at the convention, the position of the health benefit representative, and that was established for all branches and incorporated into the health plan section of the Constitution. Yeah, and I know that's uh, that position is important to a lot of branches. A lot of folks are listening out there are probably familiar with their health benefit rep and in their branch, but they're also really important to the plan itself and the way we serve our members. A lot of times I know they're a a source of information and and they can particularly be important this time of year during open season you know that they, they oftentimes are the first contact for someone that may have questions so why don't you just in general tell us a little bit about what those health benefit uh, representatives at the branch level what their duties and responsibilities are so if there's a member that's listening out there what type of information or assistance they may be able to get from their health benefit representative Sure. So primarily the role of the HBR is to help the plan meet their objectives, to unite every member in the NELC that's in good standing into our health benefit plan as well. And the health plan provides a lot of resources and material and assistance to the HBRs so that they can be knowledgeable about our benefits. They know things that are coming up. We do a bi-monthly newsletter to make sure that they have the most current information so they can pass that on to their members if something is affecting the health benefit plan. But they're essentially there to do a variety of things to help promote our plan. Even though there's a health benefit representative, there's a lot of officers, there's a lot of members 
in every branch that are in our health benefit plan. So together, it's very helpful for them to pass on and talk about the things that our health benefit plan offers. In the JCAM, we also have Article 17.6 that allows and permits, and I strongly encourage everyone to do this, union participation in new employee orientation, whether a employee is being converted to career from a CCA position, or if they're a new hire career employee, the union is allowed time to go in and talk to all of those employees about our union's health plan. And it's a great way really to introduce our members from day one when they're eligible to join about all the benefits and the great offerings and the ways that our union can help people in addition to representational issues and really extend out that union family to include the union from a healthcare perspective as well. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I, I remember back in, uh, I want to say the last version was in 2016, we had done a series of questions and answers about um, CCAs. And, and one of the questions that I remember dealing with the Postal Service on was, you know, would we have with the union when people are converted from non-career as city carrier assistant status to a career status where we had the opportunity to address them and that's one of the things we're able to negotiate and make clear that when they convert to career status as you mentioned we do have that opportunity under article 17 section 6 so i just want to say one more time to uh you know we've got so many of our, our branches out there that uh you know do address employees when they're converted to career obviously there's a lot of decisions they have to make about benefits and things like that. But we do specifically have the right, the union does, to to address them. And that's an excellent opportunity for us to talk to them about the health plan. All right, Stephanie, we'll get to uh, what's new in 2024 here in just a minute. But um, why don't we start just more in general and you give us uh, an overview, whatever you think is important to mention to our listeners of the type of benefits that uh, our plan offers. I, I know that those that have the plan will recognize this, that over the last several years, we really increased, you know, not just the direct benefits, but also a lot of the programs that are in place to uh, to assist members of the plan. So anything that you feel like pointing out there, uh, I'm sure would be of interest to our members. Great. Well, I'm going to start with just talking about some of our general benefits because I think they lay the foundation of why we are such a good plan. Before I talk about how we're expanding some of those benefits out into 2024 and making them even better. So generally speaking, we have a, a vast provider network. We have in and out of network coverage as well as worldwide coverage for any of those travelers out there, this is something that not every plan offers and something that you don't want to be left without if you leave the country. We also have lab coverage that you can have lab work done at no cost if you're using LabCorp or Quest. You do still have lab coverage elsewhere, but taking advantage of a no cost option is great for our members. Our prescription drug plan is one of the best around, um, and I have to put a shout out that we do support the Postal Service by using mail order or delivery 
through CVS if you get a prescription filled using our maintenance choice program or you get a local 30-day fill. So that's great, easy service to have your prescriptions delivered right to your door and put in your mailbox by your letter carrier. We also have some great telehealth and telemental health virtual visit options if that works for you, and that's at a reduced copay of only $10. We also have foot care, chiropractic, acupuncture. We have home nursing care and hospice coverage. We also have a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week health information line and a 24-7 line for mental health and substance use disorder to help our members out. So our benefits are, generally speaking, very inclusive, have everything that you could want in a health benefit plan. But we also have programs that we've incorporated into our benefit design because we really want to put people in a place where they can take charge of their own health care and they can become involved and help themselves lead healthier and happier lives. We are not one-size-fits-all people, so our health plan can't be one-size-fits-all. And so we have a variety of programs, hopefully, that meet everyone where they may need to be in life so that they can look at their healthcare needs and decide what works for them. Some of our programs I just want to highlight, we do have a weight management program, a smoking cessation program. We have a variety of complex or chronic disease management programs that our members can participate in. And one thing I forgot to say is that all of our programs are at no cost to our members to participate in. So this is a great way if you maybe have a health condition that requires a little more maintenance or a little more management of to participate in some of these programs can really help you out. We also have a program called Gaps in Care, which integrates your medical, your pharmacy, and your lab data to assist you and your physician to improve health outcomes when you need that additional management. We also have diabetes programs. We have a program for all of our caregivers out there. It's called Solutions for Caregivers. But we also have wellness incentives. We have a variety of other programs that you can participate in, take advantage of. And when you complete those, we will actually give you a wellness incentive, which is money. It's a pretty good incentive for most people to participate in a health program and just ways that we can give back to all of you. We also have some newer programs that we incorporated into our plan over the last several years. In 2020, we introduced telehealth visits, which I had talked about with the $10 copay, but we've also expanded our program to include women's health, nutritional counseling, And then, as I'll talk about in a minute, we also expanded additional coverage into 2024. We also have put in a program for all of our members out there who have high blood pressure called Hello Heart. And this is a remote tool that can help you measure your blood pressure using a blood pressure monitor that we send to you. And you can track your results 
through the program on your smartphone or your tablet. And you can send the results of that directly to your provider. So it's a great way to stay in touch and help monitor any potential heart issues. We also introduced a new musculoskeletal program and a new way that our members can choose to have physical therapy. It is called Hinge Health, which has been a great, successful program. Our members really love it. It provides you access to a personal care team, including a physical therapist and a health coach. We will send you a tablet and wearable sensors that will guide you through exercises based on your questionnaire and how you fill out information on what your needs and the status of your condition might be. And you will also have a video visits with your healthcare team that are delivered to you through the Hinge Health app. It's something that for anyone that has an ache and a pain out there, which I'm sure is most all of us, we could really benefit from participating in. And the great thing is, again, it's no cost because it's one of our health and wellness programs, but you can do this whenever it's convenient for, for you. It takes away that barrier of scheduling an appointment with a physical therapist and trying to find time to get to three or four visits a, a week. So it's really been something our members have really responded well to. Yeah, and that that's, you know, for the listeners, <laughs> that's a lot of stuff, but that's not all. <laughs> there's, there's even more. So as you dig in, I, I'm sure... Um, you'll, as we said, find that we offer, you know, the, the benefits that, uh, we believe anyway, are as good or if not better than, than any that are available to you. So Steph, you mentioned the telehealth, which is, uh, one of the improvements that that's been made in recent years. And we've tried to focus on expanding access to, uh, information and care and, you know, using technology to ensure that, you know, all the members of the plan are um, able to get their hands on whatever information or, or, or care even that they need as soon as possible. And, and another, I think, really positive improvement that's been made in that area is through the, over the last few years, is through the member portal. So why don't you talk to us about uh, what members of our plan are able to do through uh, the, the HBP member portal? Just to avoid confusion, the HBP members portal is not the NALC members only portal. The health plans portal, it's a portal you can access from a computer, but there's a mobile app that's tied to it as well. So generally when we talk about it, we focus more on the ability for our members to download an app. And once you've registered, Using our app, you can get real-time deductible and out-of-pocket accumulations. You can view your claims history. You can even communicate with the NALC health plan customer service representatives directly through the app in a safe and secure way using a password-protected accessibility. It comes through the app into our systems as a what would be similar to an email and then communicates back to the member to tell them that there's a message in the app through your personal email account. But you also have the ability to download an explanation of benefits, to review wellness incentives, to order a new member ID card if you need one. And we also incorporated in direct sign-on links 
to our vendor partners at Cigna, CVS, Optum, Hinge Health that I talked about a little bit ago, and American Wealth. So you don't have to remember passwords for all those vendors once you get your account set up. A simple click will take you over to those sites and make sure that you have access to all of your information in one place that you can quickly get to. Yeah, and for those listeners that uh, if you're currently a member of the plan and you have not accessed it, it's really easy. Just go to NALCHBP.org. That's NALCHBP.org, and you'll see it right up there at the top of the page. There's there's a link to it. All right, so let's since it's open season and. Uh, People are uh, making decisions about their benefits and for the sake of our conversation, their uh, health insurance for 2024. Let's get into a little bit about what's new for 2024. I know we've got uh, a number of things benefit related and, and then in a few minutes, we'll talk a little more about some kind of bigger picture stuff that uh, is as a result of some recent positive changes to the law. But first, let's let's talk about benefits for what what's new for 2024. Sure. I will probably forget some because we did a really great job this year making sure that we could put in a lot of new benefits and really put in benefits that all of our members, regardless of their age or other demographics, can have something that will be useful for them. So let's just start with our hearing aid coverage. We did expand our coverage this year. Starting in January, we will cover $2,500 every year for hearing aids. And then for children, we have increased the coverage to that $2,500 every year since their ears grow and they can't use them for three years. We've also expanded our foot orthotic coverage. Currently, we only had one pair every three years, which as litter carriers, we know was not enough. We would wear them out much sooner than that. So starting in January, we will now cover two pair every year, which is a great thing for all of us out there. We have also incorporated in some preventative testing for A1C. So annually, we now cover one for everyone 18 and older. We've also incorporated in skin cancer screenings. So you can have a yearly skin cancer screening. We know being in the sun all day, day in and day out, that's something that is very important that letter carriers do to be proactive. We also have incorporated in some IVF-related drug coverage for infertility, and we cover three cycles of that per year. But we are also covering three cycles of certain assisted reproduction technology treatments, as well as the three cycles of the medication assistance. So something that's really wonderful for those of our members who are wanting to start a family and having a little trouble and need a little extra help. We've also incorporated in some gender affirmation, facial feminization, masculation surgery coverages. And we have reduced some of the barriers to make those easier for our members to obtain by reducing the number of provider letters that you would need to be approved for those type of surgeries. We've also incorporated in a new behavioral health coaching program. It is a service offered through Optum. 
who is our behavioral health and substance use disorder vendor. And this is a live video-based service that supports children and families that are seeking to modify challenging behaviors and help them achieve their behavioral health goals. So a wonderful thing just for a family perspective in this day and age. We also have expanded our vaccine administration network. So starting in January, any FDA approved vaccine will be able to be obtained at CVS Pharmacy. In the past, we only had a handful of vaccines that you could get at CVS. So we're really taking the effort to widen the opportunity and the different ways that our members can access vaccines by covering any of them at CVS Pharmacy. And then maybe a big one for those out there who are in our Medicare A and Medicare A and B population, we have introduced a new prescription drug program for you called Silver Script. The great thing about this program is that it is a Medicare Part D enrolled program. So the plan will enroll our members in Medicare Part D, which will allow you to take advantage of lower cost medications that you may be able to obtain on the Medicare formulary. But if a medication is more expensive using the Medicare formulary, the NELC health benefit plan will wrap our traditional prescription drug coverage around that. So you will still get the lowest cost according to our prescription care benefits. So you get the advantage of looking at the two prices and you will always be charged the lesser of the two. One thing about this is that we will also be giving everyone who participates in this new program a $600 Medicare Part B reimbursement. Yeah, that's a lot of stuff. And uh, particularly the last thing you talked about there with the Medicare Part uh, Part D, the Silver Script, that's something that uh, we'll, we'll talk about a little bit more here in just a minute, but will be a particular interest to uh, our retirees that are enrolled in Medicare Parts A and B. Okay, so someone's been listening here and hopefully uh, they've done, you know, whatever research was necessary and, and they make the decision that during this open season, they want to switch to the NALC health benefit plan. Let's tell them how to do that. It's really easy. You have several different choices. You can go on to Postalese if you're in the post office via the postal intranet, or you can use Light Blue and you can register. Or you can also call the IVR phone number, which is 877 477 3273, and select option one. And if you are having trouble submitting or getting access to Light Blue, you can also fill out and submit a Postal Ease FEHB worksheet and send it into HR Shared Services by either fax or by mail. The fax number is 651-456-6610, or you can mail it into FEHB slash USPS. HB open season to PO box 970402 to Greensboro, North Carolina 27497. 
And as always, we tell people, make sure that they get some sort of documentation that they submitted their enrollment. If you use light blue, you should have a screen that you can do a screenshot on to show that you submitted your selection. If you send it by mail or fax, always make sure that you're getting some sort of delivery receipt. Yeah, that's a, a really important point. And, you know, for, for the listeners out there, if you have, like Stephanie said, it's pretty simple, pretty easy. But if you if you have any trouble there, there's a variety of ways you can get help. That's something that your health benefit representative at the branches should be educated on. That They can help you out. And you, of course, could always call the plan. You could call your national business agent's office, talk to somebody there at your local branch. So help is out there. So let's, uh, Stephanie, if somebody... Is, is thinking about doing that. Let's do two things. Number one, let's give them the dates again, because there is a end to this open season period by which if they choose to enroll in uh, in our plan, they have to do it. And then also, if somebody's got any further questions about the benefits or you know anything really related to the plan in 2024, um, how can they uh, get answers to their questions? Okay. Well, again, the dates are starting today, November 13th. And open season ends on December 11th, but please don't wait until the last minute. Open season is always the second Monday in November through the second Monday in December. But we always encourage people to allow a little extra time in case you experience problems submitting your enrollment. We don't want anyone to miss out on the opportunity to be in our great health benefit plan. Our phone lines, again, are open until 5.30 Eastern time throughout the duration of open season where our primary focus after our normal business hours of 3.30 Eastern time is to help our members who have open season questions and want some additional information. So please take advantage of that resource. And if you have any questions, you can give us a call at 888-636-6252. And this is a really good time for us to mention, if you do call our plan, whether it's for open season information or you're a, a member of the plan and you call to you know get assistance with a claim, um, we've got in the neighborhood of 300 uh, employees there, and uh, those folks do an outstanding job. And I think you'll find when you call that uh, they will provide the highest, highest quality of customer service. So want to be sure and we mention everyone out there. Okay, uh, let's shift gears a little bit. And everything we've talked about so far, a little bit of history, and then we talked a lot about this open season and you know, what we can expect for the plan year for the health plan 2024, which starts in January of 2024. But we also have some changes coming that, uh, just to be clear right off the bat, do not affect anyone during this open season in 2023. Um, but as we move into 2024, we will begin to implement the provisions of the Postal Service Reform Act of 2021, it was signed into law by President Biden in April of 2022, and it includes a number of changes that uh, relate to health benefits, and some of that will impact the health benefit plan, but I think maybe most importantly for our listeners will uh, require some, create some opportunities for some, but require some action next year 
for everybody. So why don't you, anything you want to mention about that? And then uh, later on this episode, we'll provide a really, really thorough explanation of what will take place and what our members, all letter carriers can expect as we move into 2024. But I wanted to be sure to give you the opportunity to, uh, if there's anything specific that you want to point out about implementation of that reform. Yeah. So the main thing that everyone needs to remember is that Most of the time during open season, you only have to enroll in a health plan if you want to change your plan or you want to make a new enrollment. So next year, in the fall of 2024, every single postal employee will need to make a selection into the health benefit plan that they want to participate in. And that is because There will be new plans that are created identical to the current plans in the FEHB that are for postal-only employee classification, and so we will all need to put ourselves into the appropriate plan. But the NALC Health Plan intends to make that very easy for our members by providing as much information over the next year as we can. Yeah, that's something that uh, we are definitely committed to, you know, both from from headquarters and obviously working together with you and the folks out at the plan. So for those listening, um, there's a lot of stuff that's going to happen in 2024. Something most importantly for everyone, as Stephanie just mentioned, open season next year, but there will indeed be uh, a lot of information that comes out, information from the Postal Service, you'll get mailings, probably stand-up talks and things like that. And and we'll, you can certainly check the postal record and, you know, everywhere that uh, we as a union and as a health plan communicate as we progress through the different things that will take place in 2024, we will get information out to you. So on an earlier episode of this podcast, I recorded a pretty detailed explanation of one particular portion of this legislation that'll be implemented next year, and that is the part of the legislation that integrates Medicare at a much higher rate or or a higher percentage of people with postal retirees. So uh, what we're going to do is uh, in this episode, you will be able to hear that explanation here in just a minute. It, It goes into really great detail about you know, the opportunity that'll be there. It it talks about what'll happen during next open season, the things that uh, our folks need to be prepared for. So we encourage you to continue listening and uh, take, uh, just try to understand, you know, exactly how this is going to impact you. But also, you know, remember that this is is not the last time you'll hear this. There will be a lot of information that uh, that we continue to provide. Well, Stephanie, I want to Thank you first for uh, taking some time to join us and thank you and, you know, all the great employees we have out there at the plan for all their hard work preparing for next year and during what is, you know, the busiest time of the year, open season. And uh, for our listeners out there, hopefully a lot of you are, uh, if you're not currently a member of the plan, we once again, strongly encourage you to take a really, really close look at it and uh, take advantage of the opportunity you have to enroll and receive what we believe is once again the best coverage at uh, at the best value so thanks for joining us thanks brian i just in closing i want to say one thing to our members out there as brian suggested strongly encourage you to take a look at our our health plan 
If you go to our website, NALCHBP.org, you can quickly go and find a lot of open season information under our What's New section. There's an open season page that's created so that all the information you may want to look at is in one place, very easy to find. We have an updated video on there. We have our full brochure and our booklets so you can learn all about our benefits as well as several other smaller videos you may be interested in watching. And again, it is definitely the pleasure of everyone that works at the health plan to serve our members. And we're just really excited to having a successful open season and hopefully have all of you with us come 2024. Absolutely. Thanks, Steph. So today, the main topic I want to cover is something that we get a number of questions about, and it has to do with the landmark Postal Reform Act that was signed into law by President Biden last spring. And there's one specific section of that law that uh, makes some significant changes that are beneficial not just to the Postal Service, but also to us. And that is changes that integrate Medicare at a higher percentage for postal retirees and their health care. But before we get into the specifics on that, I just want to quickly recap this bill and the three main things that it accomplished that are really beneficial long-term to the Postal Service and therefore to the union and to letter carriers that work for the Postal Service. Those three main changes are as follows. Number one, this legislation made six-day delivery a permanent part of the law. So until this bill passed since 1983 on a yearly basis, we have had to fight to maintain that six-day mandate for mail delivery. That is no longer the case. That is now a permanent part of the law. Number two is this repealed a 2006 mandate for the Postal Service to pre-fund health benefits for retirees decades in advance. This is a result of a 2006 bill called the Postal Accountability and Enhancement Act, where the Postal Service was required to pay anywhere in the neighborhood of 5 to $6 billion a year for health benefits for, in some cases, people that are not even born yet, many decades in advance. This is a mandate that no other government agency, no other private company has. And as we look back over the last now 12, 13 years, it's still responsible for the vast majority of money that the Postal Service has lost. So that mandate is now gone as a result of this bill. And the third thing it did is what I mentioned earlier is that it integrated Medicare with postal retirees and their health care at a much higher percentage. And we'll get into the specifics of that and most importantly, what that will mean for every active and retired postal employee as we move into 2024 and we have this legislation implemented. First, uh, we will want to educate you here, but this will not be the last time you hear about this. You will read about it. You will get things in the mail from the union. You'll hear stuff from the Postal Service. We will do everything in our power to educate our members, but I think it's important that we begin with a basic understanding of what's going to take place how that will affect everyone in the action, maybe most importantly, that will be required of every active postal employee here in the future. So to understand Medicare integration, let's first be sure that we all understand what Medicare is. 
So Medicare is a system that the government provides that provides health care. Every employee, including all the letter carriers listening to this podcast, with every paycheck you've ever gotten, you've contributed money into the Medicare system, and it's available for you when you retire. And for the purposes of the conversation we're going to have today, we're going to talk about three different parts of Medicare. The first is Medicare Part A. Medicare Part A covers hospitalizations. There is no premium for Medicare Part A once you become eligible, and that is when you are age 65 and retired. Both of those things have to be true. More about that in a minute. The second is Medicare Part B. This covers medical expenses, doctor visits, and things like that. There is currently a monthly premium. I think that premium's in the neighborhood of a little over $170 a month currently. And the third piece that we'll talk about in the end is Medicare Part D, which deals with prescription drugs. So the first question is, what is the percentage of folks that utilize Medicare? And 80% of people do what I'm about to explain. 80% of postal retirees, when they retire and they're age 65, they choose to enroll in Medicare Part A and Part B. The result there is they pay their premium for their health insurance plan in the federal program, hopefully the NALC plan, because it's the best one. And they also pay for Medicare Part B, that $170 or so a month. The result is they then have no out-of-pocket medical expenses. Medicare becomes your primary payer. They pay their benefits, whatever is left. Your health insurance plan picks up and you have no out-of-pocket expenses for your medical care or hospitalization. And 80% of postal retirees already do that, but 20% do not. And remember, 100% of us have paid into this system our entire career. So what this legislation accomplishes is how to increase that percentage, because if you increase that percentage, you are shifting costs from the federal health insurance programs into the Medicare system that, once again, we already paid into, which will result in a positive impact on the premiums that are paid both by the Postal Service and by the retired, in our case, retired letter carrier. So when you're retired, your premium for your health insurance, 72% of it's paid by the Postal Service, 28% of it is paid by you, the postal retiree. So a positive impact on those premiums benefits the Postal Service financially long-term as well as us and the premiums that we pay. How are we going to increase that percentage? This is what the law does, and this is going to require action of some folks, so it's important that we gain that understanding. And for the purpose of this conversation, you will fall into one of two groups. So I want to be sure that if you're listening, you understand what group you're in because that's a very, very important piece of what you'll be required to do, how you're impacted or you're not impacted. If you're in what we'll call group one for the purpose of this conversation, you are someone that on January 1st, 2025, you are either retired regardless of your age or you are still active working for the Postal Service and you are age 64 or older. Again, on January 1st, 2025, if you are either retired, no matter your age, or you are active, still working for the Postal Service, but you are age 64 or older, you will fall into group number one. Group number two is those that are active, still working for the Postal Service, and on January 1st, 2025, they are under the age of 64. 
So if on January 1st, 2025, you are active working for the Postal Service and you are under the age of 64, you fall into Group 2, which also is everyone that is not in Group 1. First, let's start with Group 1 and what the impact is. If you're in Group 1, there is no mandate that you do anything. So you do not have to enroll in anything you've not currently chose to enroll in. But you will have an opportunity for some of you that will allow you to enroll. So the Medicare system is set up so that when you become eligible, and that's when you are both age 65 and retired, you have a period of time where you can enroll in Medicare Parts A and Part B. If you choose not to enroll, then with every year that passes, there is a 10% penalty on your premium that you pay. So let me just give an example that will illustrate this and hopefully illustrate the opportunity that will be there for a certain group of people. Let's say you retire when you're 64. You turn 65. You're now eligible for Medicare Parts A and Part B. Maybe you're someone that's pretty healthy and you don't incur a lot of medical costs, so you choose not to enroll and not pay that roughly $170 a month premium for Medicare Part B. Now let's fast forward 10 years. You're now 75 years old. You begin to have more health issues, need to see more doctors, you incur more medical expenses, and you at that point probably wish you had enrolled in Medicare Parts A and Part B, but due to there being that 10% penalty every year, it becomes unaffordable for you. Because in that case, 10% a year for 10 years is 100%, so your premium would be double what it otherwise would be. And that's a sizable percentage of that 20% of folks that do not or have not chosen to enroll in Medicare Parts A and Part B. What this legislation will do is in the spring of 2024, there will be a special open season for those folks that are retired and they are 65 or older and they have not enrolled in Medicare Parts A and Part B. They will be given an opportunity to enroll. They will also be able to not just enroll, but enroll and not have to pay that 10% penalty. The Postal Service will pay that penalty for the rest of your life. And the reason for that is it's cheaper for the Postal Service to pay that penalty and then get the benefits of having the higher percentage of folks in Medicare Parts A and Part B because of the impact it has on premiums, as I mentioned earlier. So there'll be more information about specific dates as we get closer but if you're someone that is in that group where you are over 65, you're retired, you've not enrolled in Medicare, you will have an opportunity during a special open season next spring in 2024 where you can enroll, pay your 170 or so dollar a month premium, and the Postal Service will pay that penalty. That'll be a one-time opportunity. If you're in that circumstance, then I encourage you to do your research and you know be prepared when that time comes, and we'll be sure again and get a lot of information out to you. Now let's move to Group 2 and what the bill requires of Group 2. So if you were in Group 2, which once again is people that on January 1st, 2025, you are still active, working for the Postal Service, and you're under age 64. When you retire and you are age 65, both of those things have to be true. You will be required to get Medicare Part B and Part A, but why wouldn't you? It has no premium 
to maintain your coverage in the Federal Employees Health Benefit Program. Going forward, everyone that when they reach age 65, if you're in group two and you're retired, there will be a requirement for you to enroll in Medicare Parts A and Part B to maintain your federal health insurance coverage in retirement. However, there are two exceptions to that rule. Exception number one is if you live in a location where there are no Medicare providers, you will not be required to enroll. So, for example, if you live in another country where there's no Medicare providers, there will be a process where you can be exempted from that requirement. It's just a simple concept of it doesn't make sense to make people pay for something they can't use. The other exception are people that get their health insurance from another source. Most commonly, what we will see, particularly with letter carriers, are these are people that receive health care with something connected to military service. So there'll be a lot of interaction there with the VA. And then there are certainly those that through their significant other have health insurance provided. So those are the two exceptions. If you live somewhere with no Medicare provider or if you get your health insurance from another source, you will not be required to enroll in Medicare Part B in order to maintain your coverage. So let's talk about the mechanics of how this will work. And the way this will result in the savings is that for plan year 2025, that's the year that'll start at the beginning of January, that open season that happens in the the fall of 2024, you would be enrolling or switching plans, whatever the case may be, for the, the coverage that you'll have in 2025. The plans that are in the Federal Employee Health Benefit Program, including the NALC high option plan, each of those plans will create identical plans that will be in a new Postal Service Health Benefits Program that will fall under the umbrella of the Federal Employees Health Benefit Program, but it'll be a subset within that program. The plans will be the same in terms of the benefits, but by separating them, what we have is a set of plans where postal folks only are enrolled These are people that will be required to enroll in Medicare Part B. So Medicare, compared to the rest of the federal government, the federal employees that are enrolled in the other plans, Medicare will take on a higher percentage of the cost, which should result in positive impacts on premiums there, which, as I said in the beginning here, benefits not just the Postal Service, but also benefits us in terms of controlling the cost of those premiums as we go forward since we share the cost with them. And then once that's done, and that'll be done to be effective in 2025, during normal open season in the fall of 2024, every active and required postal employee will be required to switch from a plan in the Federal Employees Health Benefit Program to one of the plans in the new Postal Service Health Benefit Program that is a subset under that federal umbrella. For example, if you have the NALC high option plan, which if you don't, I highly recommend you do. It's the best coverage for the best cost among all the federal plans. You would simply then, during that open season, you would just switch to the NALC high option plan in the postal subset. 
the benefits will be the same as the one for the federal employees, at least initially. I mean, we could potentially down the road see some improvements in benefits because we're paying premiums that are lower and getting more value and that type thing. But initially, the plans will be identical. And then in 2024, you'll be required to swap over. So a natural question is, out of the hundreds of thousands, if not over a million postal employees that are both active and retired, I suspect there will be someone that will not switch over to a plan next fall during open season. That is one of the issues that is ongoing, and we're having conversations frequently with the Postal Service, with the folks from the Office of Personnel Management that will administer this to ensure that if someone doesn't make the switch, that they will be enrolled in the appropriate plan. So you can look for more information to come on that. The end result of all of this is that for the Postal Service long term, it results in tens of billions of dollars in savings in retiree health cost, which is a financial benefit to the service. It's a benefit to the job security of letter carriers and other postal employees, and it's definitely a benefit the long term to the financial stability of the Postal Service, which directly relates to the service that we provide to all of our customers. And that's about half the savings in this bill. The other half is something that you will not be required to do anything, but still involves Medicare. And that is the inclusion of the Postal Service through Medicare Part D in something called an employer group waiver plan. And I I won't go too in-depth about this because, again, it's not something that requires any action by any of our members But basically, it includes the Postal Service and the the related health plans in a program that was designed to allow insurance companies that integrate Medicare to negotiate better prescription drug prices. We will be in a position, the Post Service has been exempted from this since sometime in the mid-2000s. This will be an opportunity to better control the price of prescription drugs, and that will also result in savings in some premiums. So once again, this is not the last time you will hear about this. We will do mailings that will be specific to the, the circumstances of a lot of our members. We'll have this through all of our in the magazine. We'll have this on our website as we get closer to next year. You'll hear it through. I would expect we do another podcast on it when we get closer. So you'll, you'll kind of have to be living under a rock not to know about this. The education is important. And we just thought that as I travel around the country and see our members at different types of training and conventions and those kinds of things. This is something I always cover to give the leadership and our branches and our state associations the knowledge they need to answer some of the initial questions that come up from members. All right, let's go to our Ask the Mailbag segment. We have a question from Anonymous. He's a retiree. Uh, His wife will turn 65 in January. She'll be taking Medicare A and B, as will I in July. We are both currently enrolled in the NALC high option. With the recently established Aetna Advantage offering $75 per month towards B and other perks, we are confused as to whether to switch over to this plan for one year for my wife and half a year for myself, knowing that we will have to make yet another change next November. Okay, um, Mr. Anonymous. So... First off, the, the, I think 
we're talking about things that are certainly related, but don't necessarily impact one another. So as you heard earlier in the podcast, that there are things being implemented specifically. I think what you're talking about here is when we look forward to uh, open season of next year in 2024, that'll start in November, the second Monday in November. The way this a lot of this law will be implemented is that the plans will create identical plans in a postal subset. And every active and retired postal employee will have to enroll in one of those plans in the postal subset. You have the NALC high option plan. We have every intention, and I will tell you there's a 99.99999% chance that there will be an NALC high option plan in that postal subset that will be exactly the same plan as that's in the federal program. So it's really just an administrative thing. So it's not as if you're having to choose a different type of plan. It will be the same plan. So let's take that piece of it first. That will not affect whether or not you enroll or take advantage of the Medicare Advantage plan that we offer. So whether you're you're currently in the high option plan starting in 2025, you're in the NALC high option plan that'll be in the postal subset. It's called PSHB, Postal Service Health Benefits. You still will have the same option, both you and your significant other, to enroll in the Medicare Advantage plan. One thing about the Medicare Advantage plan that I should mention that I know wasn't specifically part of your question, but I think it's important for our listeners out there that have Medicare Parts A and B, you should take a look at this if you have not. It is a plan that if it works for you, and there is some difference in the providers, some of the benefits, they're generally more tailored towards you know those in that age demographic that are over age 65. If it works for you, and it does for a lot of people, you save a significant amount of money through rebates for your Medicare Part B premiums. I think the question from the retiree there talked about a spouse. So between the two of you, you would save somewhere, I think it's almost like almost $1,800 a year in Medicare premium rebates. You would get that money back. So another thing that's different about it is unlike enrolling in a normal FEB or what will soon be PSHB plan, you are not limited to enrolling or changing during open season. So you can literally change on a month-to-month basis. So back to your question, you have the high option plan. Next fall, you know, you would presumably just enroll in the NALC high option plan in the PSHB. You still could choose to go into Medicare Advantage. So the Medicare Advantage plan, you can do it on a monthly basis. You can choose to enroll in it. You can stay in it for up to a month. If it doesn't work for you or for whatever reason you want to go back to the normal high option plan, you can do that starting the next month. So when it comes to to your decision about whether or not to enroll in the Medicare Advantage, that's almost a separate decision from the impact of the postal reform bill that you'll have to enroll in a plan in that postal subset. That will not change your options as it relates to Medicare. The same will be true if you go into it and decide to then opt out of it. You would just simply go back into the high option plan. But really good question. Appreciate that. Our next question comes from Cara in Petersburg, Virginia. What is the reason that our new leave year starts on January 13th and not the 1st? Are we going to have our leave for a full year? Yeah, this is a question that comes up normally in years where the date 
that the leave year start seems sort of late and, and it's about as late as it could be <laughs> in this year. So the way our pay schedule and leave schedule is structured is on a pay period basis. There are, in a typical year, 26 pay periods. Every few years, we have a year with 27 pay periods. But they're every two weeks, and as hopefully all postal employees and letter carriers are listening to this know, our pay periods start on a Saturday. So the leave year, to maintain the kind of structurally the way we're credited leave and all of that stuff, the leave year has to start at the beginning of a pay period. Then it will run for 26 consecutive pay periods. And then every few years, as I said, that 27 will be included in the leave year. So the leave year, as a rule of thumb, almost always starts the first Saturday of the calendar year. There are rare exceptions to that if you go back throughout the years. But in this particular case, the Saturday on the 13th, it starts then because the way the clock just rolls from year to year, through the number of pay periods. We've also had years where the leave year starts prior to January 1st. So it's a just a rolling thing that goes from year to year where you have 26 pay periods and every now and then we'll have a 27 pay period year that, that kind of resets it a little bit. So the main thing to understand though is that it has to start at the beginning of a pay period. So it'll start January 13th. You will be credited your leave you know, starting January the, the 13th, that's the first pay period. And that's why leave leave is credited based on a leave year as opposed to a calendar year. But the fact that it starts on the 13th, which is whatever, almost two weeks after the first of the year, doesn't have any impact on the amount of leave that you receive, you know, over a period of time. Our next question comes from Chris from Branch 1071 in South Florida. With the changes to the health benefit plans next year, with next year's open season, what happens if someone doesn't enroll? Yeah, good question. So, you know, there are, I don't know the exact number, I suspect a million or so roughly active and retired postal employees that are all, as a result of the law, as we've talked about on this podcast, they will be required to enroll in a postal service health benefits plan that still, once again, is under the federal employee health benefits program umbrella. But it's definitely a legitimate question because, you know, I suspect that out of those million or so people, there'll be a few that won't enroll. One of the things that we have done really since the law, it was signed into law, but it's, as you might imagine, ramped up here, you know, the last few months is we meet consistently with the Postal Service. We meet with the folks over at the Office of Personnel Management that is responsible for regulating the health plans and implementing a large portion of this law. I have sat down with the director and the assistant director and and gone through a number of different scenarios. And this is one of those. This is one that wasn't specifically covered in the law. And, And when we initially asked this question, the answer was, we'll put you in a comparable plan to what you have. But they have since then confirmed that if you have a plan And that plan right now, so for 2024, you're in a plan. Let's say you're in the NALC high option plan. And you do not enroll in a PSHB plan next open season. For 2025, they are going to put you in that same plan if that plan creates a duplicate, which, as I've said on this podcast already, we have every intention to do that. I just can't 
fully guarantee you because they won't let me do that yet, but there will be. <laughs> I feel I'd, I'd bet a lot of money on it. So if you do not enroll in a plan, they are going to put you in that plan as long as it, the one that you currently have, as long as it creates a duplicate plan. The second part of this, and this is very important though, I strongly, strongly encourage all of our members, active or retired, to choose a plan. For a lot of you, that will be very simple. The plan that you currently have will create a duplicate plan. You'll simply be going from, you know, in our case, the NALC plan in FEB to the NALC plan in PSHB. We should do that. For anyone that has dealt with the Office of Personnel Management, whether that's you've retired or, you know, any other interaction you've had with them, I would not leave that decision up to them. You are best off taking care of it yourself. The process is very simple. We will get a lot of information out over the course of the next year or so, and certainly as we get closer to that open season. So I strongly, strongly, strongly encourage you to enroll in a plan yourself. Do not leave it up to them. And I don't say that as a criticism of the people that are in charge, you know, over at, at OPM. I actually think the director is doing an excellent job and has a lot of good people that work around her. But it is, just to be honest about it, it's it's one of the government agencies that is trying to play catch up in terms of technology and, and stuff like that. So I would, again, strongly encourage you to enroll in a plan. Don't leave it up to them or anybody else to do it for you. You had the ability to do it. It's really easy. Most cases, it takes just a couple of minutes. You can do it through, you know, light blue on the post service website. That's, there's a number of other ways, but that's the easiest way to do it. So once again, you'll get a lot of information from us about exactly what you have to do. But one of the things through working with them is they have confirmed what they would do with those people. But our goal is to limit the people that do not enroll to maybe those that for whatever reason haven't had the opportunity, people that are ill or incapacitated for some reason, and take care of those. And and the more of our folks that have the ability to go ahead and enroll that do that, the easier it is for us to deal. The smaller the number of folks that don't go ahead and do this themselves, then the easier it is for us to deal with the ones that, you know, were for whatever reason not able to. A really good question. And that was our Ask the Mailbag segment. If you have a question you want to ask, please submit it to our email at social at NALC.org. Thank you for listening to this episode of You Are the Current Resident podcast. Please subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. And please share the podcast with our NALC brothers and sisters. You can follow the NALC on social media on Facebook, X, Instagram, and Threads. You can find links to our accounts in the episode description. And you can follow President Renfro on Twitter at BrianRenfro19. If you have any questions to submit, or have feedback again about the podcast, please email us at social at NALC.org. May your steward be by your side, and may your union have your back. Thanks for listening. See you next week.